0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your Nine Fingered host, Dan Johnson. All righty, we are back For another podcast and today we are going to be talking with a gentleman named Garrett Stump. He is a bow shop owner in Ohio and you know I had this whole uh, product review podcast scheduled for him and then as I started exchanging emails with him and through the short conversation we had before this uh, podcast started I actually found out he did own his own bow shop and I kind of quickly changed the subject of today's podcast to setting up bows um, and we get into a lot of detail there's that word again details about how to set up uh, your bow. Things that he sees people do wrong. We we talk about um, overdrawing, underdrawing. We talk about uh, timing of the cams. We talk about vertical not travel. Um, we talk about you know you know as guys we want to shoot a, the biggest, baddest, fastest bow on the market, and is that really necessary? Um, you know, obviously guys have been killing animals with bows for hundreds of years and they've done it without, you know, 400 feet per second or whatever, you know, 400 IBOs. And, you know, we just get into a lot of detail about how to properly set up your bow, things to look for, Um, you know, even we, we even talk about, you know, let's say you're a good accurate shooter, but you may not be using the full capabilities of your bow, so you're actually losing efficiency and we, we talk a little bit about that as well. So it's just a, a really cool conversation with somebody, you know, yes or two days ago we had a, a conversation with someone who is a professional archer and today we get to talk with someone who literally works on bows for it's not his full time job, but it is a part time job. So it's you know, just another side of the of the uh, you know, another piece of the puzzle into, you know, not only becoming a better bow hunter, but becoming a better archer. And like I've said previously, those two things go hand in hand. And to be honest with you, uh, my goal is to be able to become more familiar with my equipment and be able to read it and be able to identify those inconsistencies and those, um, you know, those, points where I'm losing efficiency uh, and, and being able to address those issues with my archery equipment so it's a it's kind of a, a journey for me as well and there's a part in this podcast where I realized that I've been doing something wrong for 15 years of shooting a bow so uh, that's all good and dandy now I got a little piece of paper here that uh, um, yeah i little piece of paper here that charts all my all my partners of uh, of the podcast and i want to take this opportunity to thank all of the partners of the podcast uh, we have exodus trail cameras wasp broadheads ripcord arrow rests deer uh, that's a housing for all your trail camera photos ozonics and gearhead archery now I just want to talk to you a little bit about some of these companies right now. We are – we we get to offer a discount to you. So like um, Exodus, right? So Exodus, you can go to their website and you can purchase uh, one of their trail cameras. And when you uh, decide to purchase and at checkout, you can enter the code 9FINGERS, right? And that's the number 9 followed by the word fingers and you can receive $20 off of your Uh, trail camera purchase now you can use the same code at wasp archery uh, and save 20 percent on their broadheads and because uh, wasp is kind of a sister company of montana decoy you can also use nine finger nine fingers as a discount code for montana decoys as well Um, We got some cool things coming with Ripcord and Ozonics uh, later on this summer. But uh, Deer Lab, if you go to DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers, that's a landing page for all the Nine Finger Chronicles listeners. Uh, If you sign up there, you will get a free 30-day trial period. Uh, And that would be perfect for you to take all your trail camera pictures and dump them right in there and uh, basically learn about deer movement on your property. It's pretty awesome. So I strongly suggest going and checking out all of these companies um, and, you know, giving them a, a look and see if they uh, they fit your needs. So enough of that. The bills are now paid. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, let's get into today's podcast with Bow Shop owner Garrett Stump. Mr. Garrett Stump, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Dan? You know, I'm recording this on a Wednesday night, and I'm going to work for eight hours on Thursday, and then I head down to my annual turkey camp with my wife's stepdad kids, and uh, my mom takes care of the kids while the rest of us go uh, turkey hunting. So my truck's already loaded up. I got my camo uh, in the dryer right now, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to get out into the timber
1: yeah, you know, getting ready, uh, getting done with uh, bow season and everything like that. Turkey's about to come in here in Ohio. Youth season comes in the 25th. Um, So I'm also starting to get ready uh, to get my daughter out here in the next couple of days. So
0: pretty excited about that. So the the youth season typically comes first, and that doesn't even start in Ohio until the 25th? No, I mean the last couple of years, they've been changing a lot of things, uh, moving, you
1: know, duck and goose season around and, and, uh, just kind of goofing off with like, all the regulations and, and the season dates. Um, and yes, uh, it's not opening till the 25th. Uh, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you kind of got to abide by it and just, uh, right. and go from the hip there at that point, you know, but, uh, yeah. I've seen a lot of gobblers and, a lot of birds lately so i i hope we're not i hope the season didn't get uh you know goofed a little bit too much you know because they right. seem to be really active right now
0: right yeah i'm hoping i went on a drive and saw three shredders tonight myself um before before supper tonight but man i'm i'm jacked i don't know what it is and maybe you feel the same way but you just you're it's pitch black you're seeing the sun slowly start to come up, the birds are chirping, and then all of a sudden that first gobble just cracks and it's on from there. You know, isn't that what we do it for though? I mean, once we,
1: <laughs> really, once we, uh, you know, call them in and get them to the point where it's uh, where it's dinner time, you know, and, right. and the dinner bell rings and uh, <laughs> then then it's all over, you know, it's kind of it, – I don't want to say it's depressing, but you know, the calling game and the talking game,
0: the chase, oh, yeah. it's
1: all, it's all gone,
0: you know? That's <sighs> right. Amen. Amen. Well, I tell you what, it's kind of funny. we how we got to this podcast um, today and we were bouncing uh, emails back and forth for what? Almost like eight months. I think it was. Yeah. And, yeah. A little- yeah, And then we were, you know, we finally connected, we got a date and we had this schedule planned out. We're, we're going to talk about, um, clothing for kids, right. You know, so if you got kids and you, you know, kids always want to, you know, they always get cold first, so they want to leave. So maybe talk, we talked about that. And then we were going to talk about obsession bows and then through the conversation in the, right when I called you, I found out that you owned a bow shop and you run it out of your house and then we did a complete 180, And now that's (laughs) what we're going to talk about tonight. It's all good. So I hope you're ready to shoot from the hip. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm as ready as you are. Perfect. (laughs) Well, don't say that because I'm never, I'm I'm never ready for anything.
1: Hey, hey, we'll make this work,
0: you know? (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) All right. So before we start talking about the bow shop, um, how was your 2016 season? Actually, (laughs) uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, the, the way the season
1: works around here, um, with, with bucks, you're, you're allowed to get one buck, right? Um, so once you're you know, and you can get three dough, one buck, three dough. It doesn't matter how you do it. Um, whether that's with uh, you know, shotguns around here, the season has changed a little bit. Um, and you can get right you know, uh handgun cartridges throughout a rifle. But anyway, I don't do any gun hunting, so I'm out there early season and and at this point I'm just uh meat in the freezer, right? And so I'm just waiting for some dough to come around and, uh, and that's what happened. At least I thought, uh, she's coming through and, and she takes a broadside and at 35 yards and, uh, and I let the, I let the arrow go. Well, and I, I smacked what I thought was her, right. And, and she goes off and, and, Whatever, you know, goes down, I wait it out, you know, I call everybody. I'm like, Hey, I got a doe. Go. I'm going to need you to come help me. You know, because of where she ran, I have, I hunt about 70 acres of swamp. Okay. And, and, uh, so when she goes in there, I mean, it, it's tough to get deer out of there. Right. So I find her and then, uh, just happen to blend in a couple inches of antlers. Right. So. I never seen the antlers because I was so focused on getting a doe. When I seen the deer, all attention went to the kill shot instead of the head. You kind of know how, I mean, if you know what I'm talking about, you just look at that deer and, you you know, well, just a misidentification. So that took my whole season out of whack last year because I popped popped that buck. So I went the rest of the season watching these deer. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so I don't want to say it wasn't successful. It was absolutely successful. And I went through the season, you know, um, and, and had multiple opportunities and, uh, but that, that really kind of took the, took the wind out of the sails, you know, cause I was, I was going for, I sent you that picture of that buck mm-hmm. and that's who I was going after. And, and, you know, it, it was, I hate to say it was just bound to happen, but uh, I had a really good chance of that happening. And when, when I shot that small buck, it really just kind of, that hurt. But
0: anyway, I put yeah. meat in the freezer. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's a plus side to it. Um, was the buck really small? I mean, is, no, no. I, you thought it was a, thought it was a doe, but.
1: Well, it, I mean, it,
0: it was, I mean, I guess what you'd call
1: a cold buck, you know, just, uh, I mean, n- nice bodied deer and everything, just the antlers, the genetics weren't there. Gotcha. gotcha. You know, and. And it's so thick here in, in Northeast Ohio that, yeah. you know, it, especially when you're talking, you know, early season, which around here starts like the uh, third week of September around, well, the last, last week of September, I guess you could say, you know, the date kind of changes a little bit, but it's usually around September 28th. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. Uh, so there was still foliage on the leaves and I just, they happen to blend in with everything in the background and she just, He looked like a full on dough to me.
0: Yeah. Well, Hey man, that happens. Like you said, at least you got some meat in the freezer for that. That's right. Perfect. All right. So do you do your boat? You know, you run a bow shop out of your house. Do you do that full time or do you have another job?
1: No, I, I, uh, I actually work for the post office. I'm a mail carrier. Um, that's, that's my full-time job. Um, but lucky for me, you know, I, I, I do get four weeks vacation. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, and I'm sure you're well aware of this. Um, but the bow shop, I mean, it's hard to make a living in the bow shop all year long during that three weeks, three, four weeks of the year. Yeah. You'll kill it. I mean, you'll, you'll do pretty well for yourself. Um, but it's only that period of time, you know, it's, it's hard to really, Really support yourself on the income throughout the year, unless you're into, unless you have some clients who are real uh, target yeah. archers, you know, you know what I mean.
0: Guys so, that come in on a consistent basis, and not just right, a you know, yeah,
1: and and guys that want full on tune in new strings, you know, right when they see a little bit of uh, fur on their string and this and that, you know, but but yeah. with with the economy and everything, they don't they don't do that,
0: right. Right. So post office, um, are you, are you, are a mail deliverer? So you get out, you drive the car or do you get out and walk?
1: Well, uh, it, it, it's a combination of both. Um, you actually, what you do is you drive the truck. Uh, I mean, essentially I walk, but I drive the truck, right. you know, out from the post office, go onto my route, you know, park, and then I start delivering. And then when I'm done with that area, go back to the okay. truck and move to the next area.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, you ever been attacked by a dog? <laughs> I should have known that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: I think that's, I mean, everybody, everybody cracks jokes about that, but they they don't realize that crap really happens.
0: So do you carry pepper spray? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the swift foot too. <laughs> oh, a swift foot. So, so when a dog comes at you, I mean, I had to throw, uh, this was what, last week I went on a walk with my kids and my boy kept trying to get out of the, uh, he kept trying to get out of the actual uh, stroller. So I let him get out and he was walking down the road and there was two dogs sitting in a garage and um, I, there was a guy out there, he was working on like a old lawnmower or something like that. And I said, Hey, how you doing? And he raised his voice and he said, Hey, how you doing? Well, the dogs heard him yelling at me. Right. So oh, okay. the dogs both shot out and my son was kind of in the middle between me and my daughter, but he was in the wide open and right. this dog was heading right for my son. So I took the oh, shoulder no. and had to throw it at this dog. And <laughs> the, then the dog veered away and ran away. And then the guy came out he's like, Oh my God, they've never done that before. Whatever. And I'm, I kind of was, you know, crapping my pants there for a second thinking, and I was going to have to take my son to the hospital, but you know, it it all worked out. So how, how many times a year do do dogs chase you? Well, um,
1: you know, if I had to guess um, during the winter, it's nil. I mean, around here, nobody comes out in the winter, you know, and, and nobody's out. Um, But now that the spring, has hit, and, you know, summer's roll, you know, coming in, and and uh, everything depending on the route, if it's one of the routes that we would consider, you know, like, uh, uh, I, I don't really want the lower income, you know, the fighting dogs around here, because we have a lot of fighting dogs. Um, oh, wow. Y- yeah, you know, j- just that whole network of, of town, you know what I mean? And, uh, so, you're looking at people at least a person being chased
0: once a week. Oh, wow. That's nuts.
1: All right. And, and that's, you know, I mean, we had a guy go to the hospital last year for getting tore up by a pit bull, you know, and, and oh, I don't want to say it's just pit bulls, but around here that tends to be the prominent yeah. problem.
0: Okay. This is some crazy shit. Now, <laughs> automatically my brain now is going from a dog. Have you ever had to like <laughs> pepper spray a person or like, have you been attacked by a person? You know, most of the time it's women, (laughs) you know, uh, most of the time
1: they're the ones that, that get a little rambunctious and feisty uh, about the male and everything like that. But no, I've never actually been, uh, physically attacked, I guess, you know, because most (laughs) of the time I'm pretty good at trying to deter that before that ever happens. But, uh, I always crack jokes to people about, you know, I don't have to worry about the dogs. I have to worry about the people in my area of town.
0: Oh man. So they're, they're basically just pissed at you because you're bringing bills. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that tends to be,
1: or I'm, or I'm either, I'm bringing bills or I'm not bringing something they want. Man. You That's know, it, it, it's, it's a thankless job, but you know what I mean? It, it puts food on the table.
0: That's right. Well, I'm here to say thank you for all of your hard work. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Both. Let's talk archery. All right. Let's um, do So bow shop, what's it like running a bow shop out of your house? Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's rewarding,
1: um, during, during the time of the year where I actually get to, you know, kind of goof off with everybody's bows that come in and their, their crossbows, you know, I I get to, you know, pretty much, you know, shoot other people's setups and really tailor them to them. So, so that part's really cool about it. But the problem about owning any bow shop, whether that's out of your house or not, is everybody, it seems like bow hunters are the worst procrastinators when it comes to getting their bow, their, the the system that they're going to depend on to kill an animal or to harvest an animal with, they tend to procrastinate, you know, and that's where the, it seems to me working on them. that seems to be where they like to skimp on the most money, you know, they'll put all their money elsewhere, but they won't put it in the setup that is essentially the business end. Yeah, right. I'm saying so, right. you know, um it it's tough on that note because everybody you get hit within a week or two period of time and everybody wants their stuff done now. You know, right. that's the toughest. Right. But other right. than that it's it's pretty rewarding cuz I can take any I can pretty much take, you know, one of the six big uh bow manufacturers and go shoot one <laughs>
0: all day. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, all all um, day
1: long, you know what I mean? Yeah. They even provide me arrows.
0: Heck yeah. So, <laughs> when, j- just kind of right off the bat, like, do you, you don't sell any bows at your shop, but you, but you set them up. So, a guy, guy goes out, he figures out what bow he wants, uh, he wants to shoot. Now, do you, do they bring you all the parts or are, is the site and the rest already on there? when they bring you let's say like a new bow to set up
1: well i mean it, it could be anything you know in, in between it, it could be a, a full bow with everything on it and just because they put screws through the sight and mounted it to the riser and did all this did all that and they want it uh they want to be able to grab that bow and be able to anchor where they're supposed to anchor you know the poundage where they want it and the bow pretty much shooting um left left right you know Mm-hmm. where it needs to be and, you know, uh, vertically where it needs to be. Um, and then when they get here, I'll bring them out to the range that I got behind the house and, uh, and we'll fine tune the peep and everything we need to need to do at that point.
0: Gotcha. So when a bow and I'm just, I'm talking. One that is straight from the factory, right? It's probably right. O- only been shot a handful of times um, at the place it was sold. People are testing it out, but right. when a when a new bow comes to you and it's time to set it up and tune it, what are the First things that you notice I, I guess is there is there a consistency between all bow manufacturers like okay well the cams are not timed uh the you know there's loose parts or whatever is there is there a consistency throughout all bow manufacturers for the first things that you have to address on uh, a new bow um
1: you know i don't, I don't want to say the first thing i really have to address because bow manufacturers have gotten so efficient and so um, good at what they do, um, other than, other than if, if a guy buys a used, a brand new used, uh, what do you want to call it, um, uh, shooting model, you know, a practice model that they have out, right. then then I have to go through and really make sure everything's squared away and nobody nicked it just to be a goofball, you know, because mm-hmm. you do have people who go through and will take their pocket knife and screw with a string, you know, um, believe it or not. Um, and so the new bows that come in the box, you know, they bring me the bow in the box and this and that, you know, I still do check the timing and then, you know, I find out exactly what the specific person needs. Maybe they need a little extra, uh, draw length or they need a little less. I can put some twists in the string and, and, uh, figure out where to go from there. But, you know, just on a, a very basic level, these bows are just right where they need to be. If that perfect, if that bow was perfect for that specific person, but most of the time, you know, the bow alone is is good where it's at. It's just that person needs a little bit of tweaking, um, just so they have the proper setup.
0: Okay. Now, I've always kind, of, I'm, I've always heard this. What does twisting the string actually do?
1: Okay. Um, well, when you're, you know. You know if you're talking about the actual string where the uh, arrows launched from because they're you know typically you know people refer to strings as in as in all three strings or two strings depending on what bow it is all into one category, but that's just not the case um, the string if you put twists in the string you can you can um, you know give yourself a little less draw length let's just say it's a little long for you you can add a couple. A couple of twists, and and one twist makes quite a difference. Um, believe it or not, and you can remove twists. But the thing is, is every time you put, let's just say, one twist in the string, and then you know what that does is it it'll shorten your your draw, but it'll add poundage. It'll make it'll change the dynamic of how them two strings work together. So you'll actually have to take out uh, that same amount out of the cable.
0: Okay, um, if that
1: and, makes sense.
0: Yeah, kind of. Um, like this is all kind of new to me because uh, I'm that kind of I'm that guy who I take my bow to a um, you know to somebody and they say and I say fix this for me or set it up for me you know put this new string on or um, you know I I I have problems with something and then they are the, you know, they think about it and help me out. You know what I mean? So, um, so with, with that said then, so if, what happens if a guy has a peep site and you're taking out, do you have to take that peep site back out and then put it back in?
1: Well, that, that depends because if you're doing a full twist, most of the time that peep site will do the full twist along with the string and it'll line right back up, but if you need to do a half twist, then yes, you're going to have to remove the peep, and then you're going to have to, you know, put the peep around to the other side and insert it back through so it lines back up.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: And and that's all dependent also if you have, if you have a singular peep um, with no um, stretch tube to it where that would, you know straighten out your peep for you it really just depends you know what i mean but for the most part even when i'm setting up a bow even if they have the or even if they want it which you know not a whole lot of people do nowadays um right. but want that want the um the uh tubing the stretch tube hooked up i still try to line that up perfectly so that tubing isn't yanking the string left or right okay. if, if that make sense Right to straighten it out. I want it. I want as minimal uh, unnecessary movement in that string as possible.
0: Okay. So, so by twisting it, I would assume this is just me thinking from a kind of a, a dummy's brain, but. If, if you're twisting and untwisting, you know, and I, there's times when I draw back and I, I just can't get my peep sight to line up. So, you know, you're always messing with your peep sight, trying to, to get it to stay straight when you draw back. And there's always that ro- a little bit of that rotation in there. What does that right. do? Does that affect the arrow at all? If the string is spinning as it as you release it, is that affecting the tail end of the arrow at all from a tuning standpoint? Well.
1: It, it could um and that actually probably has more more to do with your your how your d loop is set up okay um i'm i'm going to try to explain this as as easy as possible um have, you, have i mean if do you have a chance to look at your d loop right now or is that not a
0: no it's in uh, the garage i'm sorry
1: okay oh no no big deal um but if you look how the d loop is knotted on the right. string right um it any Anyone who, and this is all, you know, I don't want to say I, I I know I know all, but the way I do it is, I'll make the top knot um, like let's just say the uh, string will come o- the D loop string will come over from the right side of the top knot, and then the bottom part of the D loop string will come from the left, will go over the left side of the string. So when you're looking at the D loop, it's actually not coming from like all the right side of the string, it's not connected. Does that make sense? It's not coming off the right side of the string, so you actually have a little bit of a a natural turn there because the string, the D-loop is going from the right side to the left side.
0: Right, okay.
1: Okay, and what that does is that eliminates, I mean, and it really depends on what release you have also, Um, but that eliminates a lot of that string twist. Now what you need to do with your peak site. You need to, uh, what, what I would do is I would line that peep, you know, making sure, I mean, if it's really bad, like if it's all the way turning to the right or turning to the left, I would put a half a twist into your, into the longest, uh, length of string in between your peep site and your cam. So if that, the longest amount of string, which would be from the peep down to the bottom cam, I would put a half a turn in the direction that peep needs to go. Okay. All
0: right.
1: Okay. Because the further you get away from the peep, the bigger, the, um, the uh, less amount of distance, the less amount of effect it has, if that makes sense. So you can yeah. actually fine tune it by getting away a little bit. Okay. Um, so I would do that, and if that moved it right into the place, then I would, you know, put a new D loop on and I would lock it as tight as I can onto that string right where the, the uh, peep is lined up and line that D loop up to it, and it should not turn.
0: Okay. Man, that's crazy. Um, so then, so then um, that, you know, a lot of guys, whether they're, you know, their draw length on certain bows can only be, you know, maybe like a half inch at a time, uh, that, you know, but it, you can also add length to your draw by twisting the string, right? Or take, take yeah, a draw out. Within reason, you can, um, but that
1: is much more of a, of a fine tuning. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to buy a twenty nine, you know, inch draw a standard twenty nine inch draw bow when you have a twenty eight inch draw and just say, oh, because I got a good deal, I'm going to put it, you know, five twists into this string and tighten this all up. You, you're going to create more problems than it's worth. You're going to end gotcha. up buying a new bow. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I hate to be that dramatic. But some, you know, unfortunately, I I, I run into that a lot. And and it is very frustrating because, you know, you want to set these guys up, you know, where their bow is so efficient, nothing to go wrong with it, especially when I put my name behind it, my work behind it.
0: For sure. Right. Okay.
1: So it's all within reason.
0: Right. So kind of on the same path as, you know, the string here. I, w- I was watching some YouTube videos about there's this guy who he's like kind of like you and several other guys who are just straight up gearheads when it comes to bows and um, he does these really sophisticated tests on, on all these major brands uh, that they, they send him one he does a test and then they send it back and he writes this unbiased uh, review um, and he always talks about vertical knock travel and until I... I listened to his uh, videos I didn't know what that was so can you explain to the listeners what vertical knock travel is and why it's bad
1: well I mean I'm not sure that vertical knock travel is necessarily uh, bad all all around if that makes sense
0: I got um, I'm just basing this off uh, like I, I've learned about this from one person, and it's a guy on YouTube, right? So he sounded smart, so I trusted him.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, well, vertical knock travel, what you're talking about is, is the bow, The bows have grown, um, you know, so, um, what do you want to say? I mean, I, let's just say from the 80s to this point, okay? Uh, knock travel, well, I, I would think, um, because I wasn't doing bows in the 80s. Um, but vertical knock travel is one of those things where, you know, um essentially and and a lot of I'm gonna try I'm trying to dumb this down. Um it, it is it is an important subject, but um it's one of those things where vertical knock travel, what that is, is the when your string is drawn back and you have your arrow pretty much in the rep, right? Mm-hmm. And now is is you know, I'm not asking, this is a rhetorical question, but is your arrow at an angle, right? Is it gotcha. from the rear high and to the rest low? And what that is, is when, you're, when you release that string, because you're not exactly centered where your where uh, uh, B-loop is, is not centered in the string in between the cams, okay? You can, you can take that measurement and it will not be exactly centered in between them two. And so what you're doing essentially is vertical knock travel doesn't have to be a bad thing. It helps if you, if you add like, let's say an eighth of an, have you ever heard of somebody say you need an eighth of an inch high on your knock, anything like that? Yeah, I've heard that. Now, okay. Now that that's not required for every bow, right? That's not, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a requirement for any bow, but there are some bows that just, that just like that you know, just kind of like a selection of an arrow. Now, what that does is if you're a little bit like an eighth of an inch high on the knock, what that does is when you let go of that string, it's constantly driving that arrow down into the rest at a, at a downward angle. And by the time that string or that knock comes off of the string, then that's where uh, all it, it's pretty much off the rest at that point in time. Um, and, and it's free floating through the rest okay. or depending on what rest you have.
0: Right. But what
1: it did was while it was coming through the bow, it was constantly being guided by using downward pressure on rest. To help guide that arrow. Okay. And then that knock travel. Now, you know, my, the obsession bows, they tend to, it's all level. It's, there's right. no, there's no downward pressure, Right. Okay. And that's just because of how the bow is designed. Now, you can put an eighth of an inch um, high or, or whatever some other people, you know, require or whatever the case is or, or want to do. It's all, it's all about, you know, um, really experience, being able to do it and really feeling what that bow needs and, and shooting right. it. Um, but there's just so much that goes into it. Um, and you can do that with, uh, you know, the cams. You can, you know, do it with uh, the... The D loop, um, there's just so much, um, that we could spend a whole podcast talking about this. Um, but essentially vertical knock travel, I don't necessarily look at that as a bad thing. Um, but just not all those require it. When, if I was going to Gander mountain, for instance, um, they, I'm pretty sure are just taught standardly to make that, uh, knock an eighth of an inch high of where the rest is set. Gotcha. Um, okay. So it's it's just a standard basic understanding that you can set up almost every bow with a little bit of vertical mock travel and it'll shoot fine. But when you're coming into fine tuning, that all changes.
0: Right. So the first thing that pops into my head is, okay, if your arrow is consistently driving down on the rest and, and you know, it's almost like a, a skateboard ramp, right? Um, and for some reason I'm, I'm thinking of a graph that starts right to left. When you draw back that, that gets further away from the bottom line. And then when you release, it goes back the opposite way, kind of like a pendulum and that knock hits even right as it's released, right? Correct. Level. Okay. So it's continually continuously driving down on the rest. Does that affect, um, Like the efficiency of the bow, Uh, does that make the bow loud um, because there's more contact to the uh, sight? Um, I I just I just feel for me that if the arrow is level and the arrow is level the entire time, um, and and I get the point of it now is to you know to have that force, uh, you know have that uh, arrow rely on the rest rely on the rest until it's yeah to guide it now. What happens if it's perfectly level, right? Do we then start seeing inaccuracies?
1: Well, it, it really depends on the bow. And, like, um, for instance, if you're familiar with, like, the uh, – you, you remember, you know, not – I don't know, two years ago, I think it was, uh, Matthews came out with the, the no-cam, right? right? Now, what that was essentially – what the, that whole design was based for knock travel, okay, for no vertical knock travel whatsoever, the point of where you drew that bow back to the rear and the point of where that knock was um, when the arrow uh, was um, left off the string, there was no up or down vertical uh, travel. It was just straight back, straight forward, right? That was the, the, the selling point. Right. And, and, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, uh, Mr. McPherson doesn't know what he's talking about. And I, I would never say that because the dude, you know, been doing this longer than I've been around. Um, but, um, the, that was their point was eliminating that knock travel. Now to answer your other question, what is, you know, does it make a bow less accurate or less efficient? Well, it just really depends on the bow. Like I said, if I put an eighth inch, um, high on my, uh, Evo, my obsession Evo, I would have all types of inefficiencies. I'd have my arrow launching all over the place, and I would hear, um, because I am so um, familiar with my equipment, I would hear every little thing wrong with my bow when you may not hear it at all. But I know my bow so well that I would know, know. And yeah, it would create little inefficiencies, and it probably just wouldn't shoot right. But there are bows, like I have a Matthew solo cam sitting right here that I need to work on for, for a guy. And uh, it does have a little bit of, uh, eight, it has an eighth inch knot travel, um, and it's shooting perfect right now. I do need to set, I need to change out the peep form and do all that. But that's just the way this bow is, is because it's it's a single cam, if you will. Right you know so when you start getting into single cams you know you know dual cam and you know stuff like that that knock travel tends to change
0: okay so kind of staying on the path of like inefficiencies right um how how much how much efficiency do you lose if your if your cams are not timed properly
1: well um, more than, more than you would ever want to lose. I'll tell you that, you know, um, if you're, and, and it can go is, is let's say you take a dual cam, right? You have two, two cams and let's just say the, the upper one is, is out of sync. Now you can try, you can sit there and you can try to paper tune and, and a uh, French tune and do all this, all you want. And it might paper tune right up front when you're very close to the paper. You back up a little bit and you you launch that arrow where the the arrow can now um, uh, show you the inefficiencies in the paper because it has time to react to what's going on. The inefficiency in the bow. For one, you'll hear it. Um, for another, um, paper tuning um, a lot of. I mean, that's like that's like arguing oil also, but it at least gives you a starting point. Well, you can sit there and you can try to move that that rest up and down to compensate, and you can pick all the different spines of arrows all you want. Um, but until you get that that uh, them cams synced, you you will drive yourself crazy trying to uh, get your bow to do what you want it to do and to sound like it's supposed to. Gotcha.
0: So, um,
1: and you and I both know, you know, uh, sound from a bow uh, I don't want to say any sound but unnatural sounds from a bow uh equals pretty much efficiency they an efficiency problem
0: right yeah we had we had uh, uh an engineer from bear on a long time ago and he mentioned that same thing he's like if your bow's loud it means it's inefficient something's not working or not doing what it's supposed to do but Let's say you as, you know, a, a bow tech find out that uh, a certain bow, the cams are not timed. How do you fix it?
1: Well, I have a draw board. Are you familiar? Well, anyway, are you familiar with what the draw board is?
0: Yeah, I've seen one.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, now, what I do is I can, most of the time, these uh, the hard cams and all that, they have a little. They have a little mark on, on the cam that helps you. And and Hoyt is probably the best one for this, um, but helps you uh, line up like within a circle of the of the cam. And you can sit there and look at the uh, the cables that um, hook up. And if they're not directly center, or at least within that hole on each end at the same place, it's it's not timed correctly. Gotcha. Because what that means is. When you're drawing that bow back, they are not tur- they are not uh, rotating at the same exact point um, in time. Um, when you get to the top, you you know, depending on uh, how your bow feels, if you have a little bit of mush to your to your uh, backstop, um, and that's just the way the bow is designed, and that's the way you you like it, then you'll probably never notice at that point in time until you shoot. But if you have a very solid back wall, like I do, if if something's not timed properly, and let's say the, the lower cam is hitting before the higher cam, I'll be able to hit my back wall and then still be able to pull that little bit of 16th or that little bit of 8th inch. And if that's the case, that's because I'm over-rotating the top cam to get it to hit the limb. Uh, and okay. that, that right there... I can tell you there's an inefficiency in the bow, but if they're hitting at the same time, you have two points of contact at the same time on the limb. You will not be able to pull through. You you won't be able to rip that string off the bow if if it makes sense. You
0: know? Gotcha. Okay. All right. So what are, of of all the things that we, you know, kind of went through, uh, we talked about vertical knock travel. We talked about, um, you know, twisting the strings, we talked about, um, you know, timing the cams. What, what are some other things that a bow tech does to, you know, does to bows that, you know, the average Joe like me may, may not know that you do to help tune these bows.
1: Okay. Um, (laughs) one thing, one thing I tend to do is, you know, if, if the bow's, you know, tends to have a little bit of, you know, let's say someone comes in and says, hey, it just seems slow. You know, it has some ring to it. I can add um, little brass knocks, and I tend to uh, test with this a lot. I can add little brass knocks in certain sync sequences up um, towards your cams or whatever the case is to help uh, quiet the bow down. And if they're positioned correctly, you can actually add feet per second to a bow. Um, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, you're not going to add 30 or 40 feet a second to the bow, but I can take, um, like for instance, my bow, um, I took, you know, right when I got the bow, I took the the stock, um, ABB strings off of it, built my own and added, um, uh, knocks to the bottom and the top in this, you know, after testing it and testing it, taking them off, putting them in different places and, and I'm up. I'm shooting a four hundred and a four hundred and seventy two grain arrow at three eighteen. Okay. You know, I mean that that's pretty quick. And I'm shooting yeah. a sixty five pound bow. Yeah. You know, okay. um, so I, I'm. You know, and what that can do if I was to take them uh, knocks off right now and shoot the same setup, the same arrow, I would immediately notice how loud my bow got, and I would probably lose you know, anywhere from eight to
0: 10 feet a second. So what is it specifically that those, those brass knocks do?
1: Glad you asked. Um, when they're set up properly, um, now just imagine this, and I'm sure you've probably seen, uh, videos of the archer's paradox, Mm. the, the, like the arrow, how it how it wiggles and and out of the bow it just oh, kind of uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um what that is, your your string does the same exact thing, but just think of it as your string vertical and it does that same exact thing. It wiggle you know, just kind of sits there and rotates uh so fast you never know it, you know. Right. and a lot of vibration comes from there. Well what that does is when you add them knocks in the correct position, once you let go of that string and that arrow goes, because you have the weight right um, within, you know, probably an inch or two, uh, probably within an inch and a half of the them cams on the string, what that does is helps that string, because there's that weight right there, it helps them settle down into the grooves of the cams a lot faster. So you're eliminating that, rotate, that rotation of the string and, then thus, you know, taking a lot of sound
0: out. Wow. So, you learn something new you know, every day.
1: It, yeah, it, it serves a dual purpose. And, and that is what a really cool thing. And a lot of people don't know that because they think, hey, them knocks were already there. Yes, yeah. but what people don't notice if they're not in, you know, really familiar with the, their bow, they don't realize that I moved them.
0: Right, okay. So is this something that... All Botex know, or is this kind of a ah? Uh, okay, I'm like a Jedi Master Botex.
1: Um, no, no, I don't want to call myself a Jedi Master, but I happen to be. uh I, I happen to not be happy if it if it's not doing what I want it to do or what I know it can do. But um, and I I hate to knock on the the big store guys, you know, like let's just take an Academy or a Wally World or or something like that where they might. <clears throat> be able to set up a bow them guys unless they're hardcore bow hunters and they do their own work they won't they probably won't know a thing about that right. um but a guy who runs his own shop and pays his bills through his shop he'll know that he'll yeah he he should know that if he doesn't then i i you know <laughs> good right. good for him i don't know how he's really uh, getting getting by um for not sure. that that makes everything well but it it's just them little things that most people don't know, them little attention to detail. Um, those are what make a Bowtech separate from
0: the rest. Gotcha. Okay. So... You know, you have to deal with a lot of people and you know, and most importantly men, right? So men are right. the kind of people who you know, we want things bigger, badder, faster, stronger, whatever, all those type of words, right? Ain't that so true. So, you know, I'm I'm six foot tall. Um I used to think I drew I drew thirty inches for years. You know, my drawings right. thirty inches, thirty inches. And I had a, a bowtech one time tell me, I think your, uh, your draw length is actually 29 inches. Pfft, shit. It is, man. I, uh, I draw 30 inches. I pull 80 pounds. I'm a badass. Right. So, right. so how often in your job do you have to tell people, listen, man, you don't need to do it this way because it's actually making you less accurate. Your your you're, you're your setup and having the correct setup is more important than, I guess, flexing your muscles.
1: You know, um, and and I, I have two points of view for this, um, and you're probably not going to be surprised by him because you know it's probably the same as you now. Um, but when I was in the when I was in the uh, you know pro shop where I worked um, and, and worked for my buddy, who it was his shop, he just didn't know anything about you know archery, and I just happened to be the guy. So. Um, from that standpoint, it was a lot harder to have that conversation because now at this point they know that I'm trying to sell something, but I'm not trying to. Well, or at least they think that I'm trying to sell something because I'm here at this shop and and everybody thinks someone wants to sell them something, right? Right. right. Well, I, I I genuinely really wanted to help these people out because I I hated watching. You know, I, I didn't like watching them pull their bow back and watching how jacked up everything was about their form and this and that, so who am I to come up and tell them how jacked up they are, right? right? So that was that was a lot harder for me to do when I was at the shop, because they tend to not listen, <laughs> because right. you're, you're a pro shop, you know, you're, you're there, it, they automatically go to, hey, this guy wants to sell me a new bow, or wants to, you know, get me for labor costs, uh-huh. um, so from that standpoint, that was really difficult, um, but now that I have my own shop, Um, I have no problem uh, talking to people because I can actually talk to them and and kind of explain how things work. But believe it or not, man, I mean, just guys tend to be, you know, guys and are kind of like you said, you know, I want to keep pulling this 80 pounds, even though I'm pointing to the sky when I'm doing it. You know, I've been shooting this way forever. You know, my hands down here below my not even touching my face you know with my release and I shoot good like this and that's the worst thing they can actually shoot good yeah. while shooting incorrectly incorrect form incorrect bow and everything because they have adapted <sighs> um, so, and, and that's you know the, the worst part but, but now that I'm you know in my shop I can explain that to them and they tend to be a lot more receptive because they know I just want to help them out as opposed to sell them something
0: Right. Okay. So that kind of leads me into the next question. Let's say I, let's say for example, I go, I've never, I've never really taken my bow to a bow shop to get officially tuned. I've taken it there to put the sight on and the rest on. And, and then I, I just shoot and tune, you know, I adjust my sights and I'm good to go. I'm, I'm consistent. I shoot good. But kind of what you just said is that you may be shooting good, but your bow is not functioning at the maximum capacity. Let's say a, a guy hears this, this conversation that we're having, and he wants to ask himself, man, is, is that guy me? I'm shooting good, but my bow, you know, I, my form may be off, my bow may be off, but I'm I'm still shooting good. How should that guy you know, take a step back outside of himself and look at hit look at his setup, how he shoots to try to identify some of those problems to say, okay, I am now one of those guys. So how do I identify? It? And then what do I need to do to fix it?
1: Right. And, and I, I think there's, uh, a couple easy steps that, that a guy can take and to really help optimize his setup. But the first thing's first is he's going to have to be open-minded to maybe realize he could be doing something wrong. You know how a lot of that goes. Guys don't exactly want to be like, oh, you know, admit it that they actually are doing something wrong. (laughs) So first things first is, is, uh, because it's just so easy. You can Google, uh, like, uh, archery form, right? And just pick up on on a reputable source. Let's just say, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, someone from Petersons or, or something of the sort, and figure out you know how how to stand. You know, your feet shoulder width apart. You know, next to each other, and and start working on. You know, do you have your your bow arm fully extended, or do you have a little bit of kink in it? Um, is it locked? Is it not locked? Where is your elbow when when it's drawn? You know, look up this stuff um, because it's hard to explain on, on here. Um, but look up this stuff and kind of gauge yourself. How close are you? Okay. Um, and you're going to want at least two points of con- you know, contact on your face. And I recommend corner of your mouth, obviously, and the tip of your nose, not the side of your nose, but the tip of your nose, right. Um, mm-hmm. for the strength, and, and that's a good place to really start. And your grip is, is by far one of the most important things. Make sure if anything is right, it's the grip. And, um,
0: So going to, go, go thing, into detail about that. Why, why, okay. why is the grip one of the most in, important things? Because I thought it was just, you know, Hey, this is where I hold on to the bow.
1: No, no. I mean, and, that, and that's where a, a lot of people fall into Um, and, and there, the grip of the bow actually has a lot to do with, uh, with this, what I'm about to tell you anyway, um, you know how Matthews started out and they had that big bulky wooden grip, big and beautiful. I'll tell you that, but it was just thick. It didn't, it didn't cut into the lifeline of your hand, if you will. If you look at your hand, you want to put that grip in between your, uh, pointer finger and your thumb and go straight down in between the, uh, you know, palm of your hand and the uh, thumb part of your hand. So if you bring your thumb forward um, a little bit and your hand flat, that little crease there where, where like, there's a straight line between the – if you're taking your left hand, if you draw a straight line from the bottom right part of your um, wrist – up to in between your uh, thumb and your uh, pointer knuckle on your hand, right there. Yep. That's where that that grip should be setting in. It shouldn't be flat, you know, across your palm. It shouldn't. It should be at that angle, right? And that's where you want to have. You know, a lot of people, what they do is they just. It's hard to explain, but they just kind of uh, hold it and have the bow only the the riser only contacting where your thumb and your uh, pointer finger meet right there, that little space, instead of having your whole hand on the grip. Does that make sense? Yeah. But you don't want to be actually squeezing the, the, um, the riser itself. You just want to, because you're pulling back on the string, you're pulling the riser into your hand. You don't actually want to close your hand. What you want to do is rest your fingertips like on the tips of the riser, on the outside of the riser, on the front, if you will. But don't mm-hmm. actually grab that bow. It's not going to fall. It's just sitting in your hand till you you're pulling back on the bow. Your hand is just there to make sure the bow doesn't launch back into your face.
0: Cool. This is okay. awesome because so- I'm here in my chair, like, pretending to draw back my bow. So it's almost like... Because how I used to grab my bow and probably still do is almost like you're making a not necessarily making a fist. I I have a loose grip, but it's flat, right? My thumb and I mean it's just a flat plane from my thumb all the way around. What you're saying is you almost need to have the 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 index finger higher than the thumb. Yes, actually,
1: that's exactly what I'm saying. You want you want that. That, that uh riser, when the bow is in your hand, you should be able to feel the the you know the bottom of the shelf where your uh where your um rest is that should be tucked up in between your thumb and your pointer finger and then you should be able to feel the lowest part of the riser on your hand. You should be able to feel that down by the bottom right part of your hand.
0: Okay. So well, if that getting, makes sense. So you're, yeah. you're so there should be no space in no space in my palm. So no, there should be no space in your palm. Oh my god.
1: You know, and you know What and, sucks and,
0: is when you've re- you kind of realize uh, that you've been I've been bow hunting now for like shit t- t- 15 <laughs> years and have probably been doing it wrong for 15 years.
1: You know, and 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 just to elaborate on this a little bit, you know I mean, it's great to practice like this because then you'll, you'll develop proper, you know, I, I, I hate the saying when people say perfect, you know, or practice makes perfect. No, it's perfect practice that makes perfect. Right. Right. And, and that's, that develops muscle memory. And if, you know, if you're shooting good the way, however it is that you've been shooting, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you've been doing it wrong, but I'm going to tell you that there's a better way. Right. Um, you know, because, you know, the form issues like this, there's people can shoot good with bad form, right? There, there's target shooters um, in, in the circuit that actually punch the trigger and win championships all the time. When Levi Morgan will tell you all day long, don't punch the trigger, squeeze the trigger, do this, do that. Um, the guy wins all the time because he's comfortable doing it that way. But as us bow hunters, um, we want to be as efficient killers as possible. And there's just always a better way of doing things, plain and simple.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, well, and just especially... to elaborate on that grip a little bit, um, uh, what that essentially what that does is because you're not, you're not, uh, putting any pressure on, you don't want to press it on your thumb either. Um, because that'll torque your bow. you want, is it relaxed as possible? Um, and when I mean torque, that means you know, essentially turning the riser right or left because your hand is not the bow is not properly seated in the palm of your hand.
0: Gotcha. Okay. God damn, I'm just pissed at myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, you
1: now that you're you're kind of cognizant about it, and you'll be yeah. thinking it, you know, and with the weather getting good. you you know you'll remember that when you get your bow out there um you're going to really pay attention to these things Mm -hmm. um and and the best way if you really are going to you know get the bow out and start doing it start shooting close um because if you go out and you say last year i was shooting 40 yards no problem you try to do that when you're goofing off with your you know, uh, your bow hand and trying to fix things, you're going to find out real quick that either you're wrong or your bow setup's wrong because you've been shooting it, you know, uh, torqued for one way, even though it might be accurate like that. Now you're trying to correct yourself and now the bow's wrong.
0: Right. For sure. For sure. And then that's when you, uh, you lose a $25 arrow.
1: That's when you lose a $25 arrow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. So, so, Kind of going back to the original question, I can we kind of went off on a tangent there, but you know you got guys come in who want you know who like okay I'm 30 inches you got to you got to trying to try to uh, talk them you know talk them down right. and say hey man you're actually more of a, a 29 uh, and you know your form is showing me that you don't need to be pulling uh, 70 pounds maybe you are right more of a 60 uh, or 65 you know pound guy um right you know how how much of that do you see and then kind of I, go transfer that into you know not only do they need a different setup on their boat or different you know specs but you know maybe their arrows are too long or they have the wrong arrows
1: right now um wh- what i i do see that a lot i do see a lot of people um, who do want to draw? I mean, they they they've been told that you need you know all this draw weight to get speed, right? And not to mention, I I think I think that whole speed game is. Uh, it, I don't want to say out. it's wrong, but you know, it, it's just it's one of those things where. Um, and, and like the gentleman said on, on your last podcast, it's, it's not about the kinetic energy. It's about that momentum, the follow through when Mike Tyson hits you, he didn't draw back. He went through you. Yeah. Right. And that's what you want from an arrow. And you actually, nowadays, the bows are so efficient, you really don't need all that poundage. But anyway, to go back on subject, um, what I do to really help people out and to help them actually physically see how wrong. Um, what they're doing is, you know, cause I have so many people who want to draw 70 and 80 pound bows and they actually bring them to me and I have them sit down. I have a chair. I have them sit down in the chair, uh, bring their release. And if they can draw that bow back, no problem while sitting in a chair, then by all means shoot that bow like that. But most people cannot do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you, have you
0: ever tried that before? Um, you know, this is not me trying to sound like I'm bragging, but i I lift weights right so I right. for a while there I was I was pulling 80 pounds but right. when I started to shoot a lot, I noticed fatigue getting fatigued and it just kind of stopped being I don't want to say fun, but right I, I was you know I was getting fatigued and I was just like uh you know I honestly. I I could, I could have stuck with 80 pounds, but I just felt I don't, I didn't need it and it would be easier for me to pull 70 pounds and I'm going to not be as fatigued and I'll probably be more efficient because it's actually easier for me to pull back that weight.
1: Right. You know, and, and, you know, when you're, you know, out in Iowa, it, it, you know, it gets pretty cold, you know, um, along here when, when you're sitting in a tree stand and let's just say this. This, uh, this buck comes running up on you, and uh, you don't have time to really stand up, right? And w- right. we all know how this works. You know, you don't have time to stand up. You have your bow, um, and everything's happening so fast, and you just need to get drawn, and then maybe you can stand, okay? Right. So you right. try to draw, you got 70 pounds, you're freezing cold, your muscles aren't, they're not working as efficiently as they would if they were warm, And so now you're not only losing strength, you know, just by being cold, you know, you're, you're sitting down and then muscles that would normally be engaged to be able to draw that bow back aren't engaged. Um, and that's where, you know, I see it all the time, you know, even, even me, when I was, uh, shooting 65 pounds, which I don't now, um, 65 pounds was no problem for me, even sitting down. But, you know, the older I've gotten and I have a little bit of a shoulder issue. Um, now, you know, I've got myself down to about 61, 62 pounds um, while sitting down because now I know that I'm not going to have any problem with my gear being on, with me being maybe cold um, and being able to draw my bow. That it's not, that's, that's one less thing I need to think about while I'm out there. Right, right.
0: All right. So here's, here's a question then because of all that. You know, but we have been killing deer. You know, I remember when guys started talking about like, man, 200 feet per, you know, 250, 200 feet per second. Right. right. When bows were going that fast. And now we're, you know, we're up above 400 and we're still killing deer. Right. So what, what in your opinion has happened?
1: Well, I, I think, um, it, it, it's, it's, uh, a business has changed. To be honest, um, I think um, everybody—it's it, not—it's not necessarily the people, um, but I, I think business has really changed the game. Um, obviously, everybody always wants to get a little bit—a little bit more. There's always a little bit more, um, and that's with everything. Um, and these businesses have come out and are just starting getting faster and faster. And once one business, you know, accomplishes. Let's just say that that 300 mark, which not too long ago was a big thing, you know, you hit 300 and it's like that was a huge deal, you know. Um, every other company, if they did not try to compete, because um, essentially that's what they're doing, if they didn't try to compete, they would disappear. Essentially, uh, um, and and that, and I may be a little extreme that they might disappear, but I think everybody is upping the ante, which is. In return, you know, making every other business have to produce, have to right. produce results. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure that um, it's it's driven by people's attitudes because look how long um, men were hunting with a hundred and sixty or hundred and sixty foot a second bow. Um, back, you know, they went they went such a long span of time shooting those bow bows and killing elk, killing deer, killing a uh, bear. And what, what did they not have at that point in time? They didn't have a way of marketing like they do
0: nowadays. Right. Right. So do you think that this, the companies in a way are responsible for making the average archer, less educated about their equipment because guys you know certain groups of guys are they buy into the the hey our bow shoots you know light speed or or um we have this function and this function when in all reality it's a basic it's a basic mathematical equation
1: right um you know is I mean yes I think bow makers have a, have a huge role in in playing that game but they're doing what they do best they're right. selling a product they're staying alive um, now you know back in let's just say the seventies um, you know these guys they were they were the ultimate hunters you know in in, in my opinion these guys they built their own arrows. You know, they they learned everything they could, not because they necessarily wanted to, but they were forced to. Um, you know, there there just wasn't the resources we have nowadays. Um, so they're all forced to be. Let's just call them woodsmen. Their woodsmanship was better than mine. Um, they were better than a, a lot of men that I know. Um, so they were forced to do these things now. Um, all the products and all the, all the, I mean, we have YouTube. You can pretty much do any, you know, fix anything, build anything just by watching a YouTube video. Um, The resources have, have changed. Um, So I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure that, you know, it's necessarily the business's fault because they've just as much provided the resources to do what, let's just say a Botech would do for them. Um, But, you know, it's, it's up to the individual to really educate themselves. Now, you know, now we could go into that, but you know, it's all about motivation. Like me, I don't have, I don't have to force myself to to work on my bow before season or do this. I enjoy doing it because I want to learn as much as possible about these systems. I love it.
0: Right. Right. For sure. So, so then, Let's say you get a bow perfectly set up for a guy, right? He goes and he shoots it. He's happy with it. um, And you don't see him again till the next year, right? And you you look at his bow and he comes in. He's like, maybe he wants a new string or maybe he's just stopping in for, I don't know, some, you know, just to BS with you. Right. We don't ever really talk about maintenance on uh, archery equipment, especially the bow. What are some things you know, from your opinion on how to maintain your bow so that you get a really good, high-functioning, high-quality life out of it.
1: Right. And and it, it comes down to one single thing. Um, the most important thing on your bow um, is your string. <laughs> um, you know, and that's taking care of your string essentially is taking care of the whole system other than, you know, throwing it or dropping it you know and cracking a limb, something of right. that sort. Um, but getting a good wax um, and consistently waxing your string. Now not your serving though, right? Um, the serving are, the serving is essentially what protects the, the string from the cams and um, it's also the center serving which your D loop goes on and you know that locks in your peak site. All of them, you want to keep the wax away from that because you don't want it to essentially it it could uh, loosen up your serving um, depending on how well somebody tied it. but you 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 don't want any wax on the serving. but you do want to wax you know the string as often as possible. it's It's cheap to do, and it will save you um, you know anywhere from sixty to eighty dollars depending on who's building your string um, or you know who's going to replace your string but wax works wonders and and i could build you a string you know and it could last you it could last you 3 4 you know any five seasons if you're going to keep it waxed you know and i i do mean every time you go out it doesn't take nothing but seconds just keep it waxed and that string will last you long enough to the point where you may get sick of the color and you just feel like changing it <laughs> even though it might be good you just might like, feel like changing the color.
0: So and you're a, you're, you kind of mentioned earlier that you were a, a huge fan of taking the stock string off. You build your own strings and put them on. Why do you do that?
1: Well, because I, I tend to use a different material. Um, now there, there's a ton of materials out there. You have you have a Rhino string, you have a 452X, you know, BCYX, uh, Fury. You have all these different uh, uh, materials for strings, right? Um, some stretch more, some settle in a little bit better, which, you know, what helps your peep stay straight. When, you're, when you're, you get a brand new string and you put a, a peep in, if the materials are really good and the string is pre-stretched properly and the serving is added to the string properly, your, your peep should never move left or right, right? okay? Um, now, if it moves left or right, that's because, you know, the string is settling into the serving, settling into the grooves of the bow, and then once it finally settles, let's just fake off a little bit to the right, um, you can, you know, put a twist in it, and that'll fix all problems. Well, what I do is I take the strings right off, And I keep the stock strings just for like last minute backup in case I, you know, I can, I can pack them in with me. Um, Maybe if I'm going somewhere that way I can just have a set of strings in case something goes bad. Maybe I uh, nick my string with a knife on accident or or a a broadhead. Um, But the reason I do that is because I use um, DCYX material and I'm, I'm, partial to it i I really enjoy the material it's easy to work with the colors are vibrant um that i can use and uh the serving tends to wrap up nice with it and uh it's not that the strings that i that are on there are bad it's just most of the time i want to change the color i want to change the design of the string and and you know it provides a quick backup set
0: Gotcha. So it necessarily, changing the string necessarily doesn't affect the functionality of the overall bow, right? Well,
1: no, not, not necessarily. There are some, there are some like theory, um, you'll gain a couple, you'll gain a few feet per second because it is such a, uh, just the string material on it is a little bit lighter and you can tend to get away with less strand in a string. Um, and so you're less mass there. Um, and it is strong. Um, Rhino tends to be a little bit slower, but extremely quiet. It's extremely stable, and and I mean, it, it's almost like putting steel wire on your bow. You know, it's it just right. there's no creep to it, no anything. There's benefits to all of them, and I, I feel like BCYX is right in the middle of Fury and Rhino. Gotcha.
0: Okay. All right. So, I mean, we've been sitting here talking. What I could I could go on forever on on. Oh, I, of, yeah topics like this so we're probably going to have to have a part two later on in the summer but the last question that I have for you is you know we got guys out there who are going to listen to this podcast and they're going to say man maybe I need to go to a bow tech and have them look at my bow what's the difference between a good bow tech and a great bow tech well
1: I mean a a good bow tech you know in, in my opinion is uh, someone who's got the basics down, someone who's got a, a good idea of, of what's going on there, um, and you know maybe tries to sell you some things. tries to he tries to use products uh, or or uh, let's just say attachments for your bow to fix the problems that you may have. Right now, if he if he says, "Hey, your bow's a little loud," you you need a uh, you know a better stabilizer or you need to put whiskers on your string. Okay, these are quick fixes. Like we discussed earlier, um, s- bad sound means inefficient. inefficiency. Yeah. No amount of attachment can fix an inefficiency. So it's right? a band So it's a band-aid. Uh, a, you know, a very a very uh, general Bowtech, you know, ru- Little knowledge at that point in time, whether they're learning or not, they'll they'll try to they'll try to fix things with products. They'll try right. to fix things and sell you stuff. Now, yeah. a great bow tech will save you money. Okay, yeah. and and as crazy as that may sound, a great bow tech will have awesome awesome customer service. He'll fix the bow. He'll fix if he messes something up, he will fix it on his dime. Um, and and he'll tell you about it, not just fix it. So you never know. He'll tell you his mistake, um, and, and make it right with you. Um, and also he'll fix the, the actual problem. He won't fix a symptom of a problem. Right. Gotcha. gotcha. And, and that is going to be your biggest and really to find that out is to, you know, talk to him it, not, not to necessarily talk to him like, Hey, are you good? Do you know anything about what you're talking about? But get your answers organically, you know, talk to him about hunting, talk to him about, you know, uh, your setup and and see where he goes. If, you know, I I know, I know there's guys out there that can talk their way through anything and make it sound good, especially if you don't know what you're talking about.
0: Um,
1: but generally I would say a general rule of thumb, if if he says, Hey, he can fix it by, you know, doing this or, or doing that, um, he's probably most likely going to actually do something to fix your bow as opposed to add something to fix your bow. Right.
0: Cool. Yeah. That's uh that's a very good point. Um, cause I know for years, you know, I've taken and, you know, you, some of these big box stores, they got some guy and, and it's not to say that a guy who's, you know, 18, 19 years old, doesn't know how to really work on a bow, but you no. know, I like taking my equipment to people with experience, right? And, 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 you know, again, that's me, uh, judging somebody based off their age, but, you know, same, same, same type of deal. Sometimes the shoe fits,
1: you know, I mean, you never really do know, but you being a, being a hardcore bow hunter, you, you know, your equipment and you, you kind of know when someone's trying to pull one over
0: on you. Right. Right. Now I got one more question for you before. Yeah. Before we split is, you know, do you ever hear comments like this where it's, uh, I'm not trying to, I'm a bow hunter. I'm not trying to be a target archer. You know what I mean? When right in the, at the same thing, it's the same exact thing. You want to be as accurate as humanly possible when you're hunting. Right. Correct. So so you know, how often do you hear that and then without calling them a douchebag to their face, how do you, you know, how do you talk to them about, you know, well, that's not, that's probably not the best way to look at things?
1: Well, I, I think that, 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 that's a really good question because that's, you know, I, I tend to be a pretty blunt person and, <laughs> and, and I would be the guy to call him a douchebag to his face. But, uh <laughs> But, uh, you know, that, that's one of those things I, you know, I cannot stand. And I don't know how many times I've heard it, even with, even with shotgun, uh, you know, season, I can't stand the, the, when people tell me they just want to hit a paper plate. Okay. I, I cannot stand that thought process. I do not like it, um, you know, and it's one of those things where you want to be as efficient as, as a bow hunter. As a, as a, I mean, you're taking another animal's life, right? right? Um Now you would you would hope you'd be given the same courtesy if the, if the roles were reversed. Um, and I, I hate to sound like a hippie here, but uh, you know, a lot of our attitude and a lot of our. Uh, I'm not going to call it a sport, but our lifestyle and our passion we have depends on our attitude and depends on the way we look at things. And if you're just saying I can do some, uh, stupid shot, you know, and my broad head is going to make up for the rest and that's, you're okay with that. I mean, that's just, that's not, that's not what we need in this, in this lifestyle, in this sport. We need right. people who are willing to learn and willing to be effective and, uh, at, at any rate, you know, just willing to get better. And, and that, that's a hard conversation to have because that wasn't a, that was not a position they took up just last week. That was a position that they've had probably their whole life. Right.
0: Right. I tell you what, man, uh, I really love conversations like this. And again, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to do a part two of this, but you know, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man yeah dan i appreciate your time all righty guys by the time you are listening to this some of you anyway uh i will be driving in my car with my two kids to turkey camp and uh, i'm just looking forward to uh, a little time with family and doing a little turkey hunting hell we may even uh, look for some mushrooms as well looking forward to that and uh, just having a good relaxing weekend and, uh, you know, refreshing through nature. Now, like I said, huge shout out to Garrett. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man, and uh, sharing some knowledge with us. Also want to thank you guys, each and every one of you who listen to this podcast. Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, Deer Lab, Exodus, Wasp, Ripcord, Deer Lab, Ozonix, gearhead exodus wasp ripcord i think okay i've said them all all right go check those companies out thank you thank you for uh, your support of this podcast and uh check me out on facebook check me out on twitter check me out on instagram and i think that's gonna do it for this week i hope if you're turkey hunting be safe have fun shoot straight shoot them in the face and uh, if you're going to be doing any tree stand work guys remember to wear your damn safety harness have a good weekend